What's up, guys? I'm Tyler Hosley, and uh, clam chowder is fucking disgusting. Hi there, I'm Kevin Matthews, a Scottish film fan living in England, and um, we are all usually quite busy throughout October. We're horror fans, it is the spooky season, but this year I will be busier than ever, and there will be way, way, way more Kev going round. Guest appearances, baby. I'm Dave Gray, and this week I learned I learned that after all this time and, and everything, for some reason, Kevin is still the most popular of us. It's, it's all the nudes. It's all the nudes. And this is Raiders is. of the Podcast. Yay! Um, you know, besides what we watched this week, I, I kind of went deep. I watched a bunch of stuff. Uh, first, with my niece, I watched Once Upon a Crime which is a Japanese film on Netflix. It's actually a uh, written and di- well, it's directed, not written by, but no co-written. Okay. Yeah. The man who directed and co-wrote two of my favorite uh, superhero films. Hintai came in one and two, uh, which I still, I think everyone should go see. They're, a, they're an absolute blast. Uh, Yuichi Fukunda, Fukuda, Sorry for totally bollocksing your name there. Uh, and basically, it's about Little Red Riding Hood, who is a traveling detective who meets Cinderella on her uh, journey. And the, the two then run into some witches, and they go to the ball where the royal hairstylist is found murdered. It's cute. And I mean, like, it's, it's, it's you know, it's really cute. It's light. It's fluffy. It's it's a gentle takedown of uh, Kawhi, because this is like the things in this kingdom are explicit references to Japanese Kawhi culture, and you know I I enjoyed it. It's it's not anything great, but it is adorable, and you know I'm happy that the kid doesn't mind reading subtitles. Uh, I'm sure there's a dubbed English version if you don't want to read the subtitles, but. We watched it subbed. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was solid. Um, Little Red Riding Hood is played by uh, Kana Hashimoto, who was in um, the Assassination Classroom movie, which I think is also uh, directed by the same the same guy and uh, Re Slash member, which is also on Netflix. She uh, she did a, a fine job. In, in the lead, absolutely adorable. Uh, their costumes were obviously stolen from a Spirit Halloween dumpster last year. If you are in the mood for something a little whimsical and cute and not at all serious, it is worth checking out. I also watched Dormouse, which is a t- uh, 2023 uh, Canadian neo-noir thriller uh, written and directed by Avon Yorgia. Uh, Ivan Yorga is the guy who played Leon in the last Resident Evil movie. Uh, he was also in uh, Zombieland Double Tap. And uh, uh, what was the Battlestar Galactica spinoff? Caprica. Yeah. Yeah, he was in that. Uh, it stars Haley Law as Mouse, a dancer at a burlesque club owned by Mama 
played by Famke Jansen, who I always enjoy. When her friend Doe Eyes goes missing, she can't convince Mama or the police to take the matter seriously. And it's a solid little mashup of like Dashiell Hammett meets Tank Girl. It's it's not great. It's a little too cliche and it's a little too like obvious with where it goes, but it is not a bad use of your time like at all. You could do uh you could do much much worse. Uh, I think this is uh Yorga's uh first feature. Uh I think he did a couple of shorts before that but it is um it's solid also has uh donald logue i i think both both of you guys would enjoy it quite quite a bit i mean t you should totally check it out in november and i'd say kevin should pencil it in too but i'm sure kevin's already totally totally booked yeah yeah uh, as soon as you told me about it i went and found a copy so i'm nice. looking forward to watching that one nice here it's on hulu some- so yeah. For some reason, it was on my uh, radar at some point, but then I forgot about it. I don't know if people had given it a bit of uh, chatter when it was, uh, you know, is it recently hit streaming yeah. services, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think it hit some, uh, it did some uh, festivals at the beginning of the year, and it hit streaming services in the last just a couple days. So, yeah, I'm sure... You got a bit more chatter about it than I did. Uh, I watched that down with a 2017 German film called The Captain, which, which might be one of the most depressing and brutal films I've seen in a long, long time. It's uh, based on the true story of a German war criminal named uh, Willy Harold, who assumes the stolen identity of a German officer and uh, eventually takes over and... Um, Imskindlander, I totally, totally butcher that camp. It's, um, they were punitive POW camps run by the Nazis in World War II, where he becomes an absolutely brutal, brutal ruler. Uh, and after that, he, he stages, uh, summary trials. It's, it's fucked up. Like it's, it is, it is a hard movie to watch. Um, it, 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 yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a brutal flick and, uh, I think Tyler would love it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm writing it down now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Kevin would dig it too. Just, I think you'd both like it. It's, it's a good one. It's worth a watch, but it is, it is heavy. It is some heavy shit. So that's why I tentatively recommend it to people on an individual basis like Craig Craig would hate it Craig would just like seethe with anger at me if I made him watch it someday so I'm not going to do that Uh, then I kept my week of film watching off with Roxanne the 1987 romantic comedy uh, from Steve Martin with Daryl Hannah it's a mixed bag. Like this is, a, I saw this movie back in the, you know, when I was a little child with, with my whole family, you know, in the eighties, probably rented it on VHS and it's, it's okay. Like, you know, Martin's always good. 
Uh, Shelley Duvall's in it, and she's really good. Fred Willard has a little part, and he's good. Like, the cast is, is good for, for the most part. Uh, John Kapalos shows up, and he's one of my favorite character actors. Skanky from Forever Night. He's also the janitor in The Breakfast Club. Dude's been around forever. Solid character actor. He's fine in his tiny little role in this. Uh, Damon Wayans has a blink and you miss it. Barely a cameo role that's in the background of a few scenes. He's fi- fine. Uh, the problem really is um, Daryl Hannah is just kind of there. Like, and it's a problem with a few adaptions of Cyrano de Bergerac where it's kind of hard to understand the appeal. Like, I get it. Daryl Hannah is gorgeous, but it's hard to make somebody that's an astronomer sound, you know, it, it just, it doesn't quite work. Like, I don't understand the appeal since she has no interest in him, obviously from the go and is drooling on someone else entirely. So it like the whole love angle doesn't work. And tragically, uh, what really undercuts it is Rick Rossovich as uh Christian or Chris. Chris, he's just, he's not good. Like he is, he's a big hunk of beef, but he is not able to carry his part. He's not funny. He's not charismatic or interesting. He's just, you know, beefy, which I mean, I guess, I guess that works, but I I feel to get the story right, you need more. It's okay, but... You know, there's there's better versions of Cyrano out there. Now, uh, besides I that, mean, do, huh? do you want to take a moment to to at least name check Michael J. Pollard as well? I do actually. Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, of course I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, like I as I was saying, it has a really good supporting cast. Um, I mean, who else did I forget? Because I know there's others I forgot. Uh oh, Max Alexander uh, has a part, and he's always really good. Um, yeah, of course, Michael J. Pollard, who is one of my all-time favorites. May he rest in peace. Uh, Matt Latanzi, Latanzani, who is a soap actor forever, is in it. I mean, like, it's got a solid cast. Uh, Kevin Nealon is in the first scene as a cokehead. Who gets beaten up, which is uh, fantastic. You know, I mean, Brian George. Brian George, a solid British character actor. uh, Who's probably best known as the the restaurateur in Seinfeld, Babu Bhatt. Who owns the Dream Cafe. Is in it. Also good. It's a solid cast that, that carries a, a film that's, you know, a, a fine late 80s adaption of Cyrano de Bergerac. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's okay. And besides that, I saw the new... Uh, I, I finished off my week with uh, marathoning the new series of Castlevania on Netflix, and I had an absolute blast with it. So, Yay. Castlevania. Woot.
I forgot to get back to Castlevania after watching the first, wasn't the first series just about three or four episodes? Yeah, the first series felt like a uh, straight-to-video movie cut into four parts, yeah. Yeah, but not that I minded it. I knew there was more coming. I just I didn't get back to the rest, well, the, uh, the unfortunately. New, well, the new series is a new story, so you're good. Um, well, I started my week by, uh, well, one of the films I watched was 2016's Orphan, which is um, another film with Adele Exarchopoulos, uh, who one day I may get her name right. I don't know. Today's probably not that day. Uh, she's in the Also, Adele Hanel, who I believe is probably still best known for being in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, she was in there. But Orphan's good, and I'll still watch uh, Exotropolis and anything, and Hanel's really good. But you know when you're watching a film and someone comes along that you completely don't expect? It's like that fateful moment when you might see a school teacher out in public, like when you're an adult or just not in school and they've not got a shirt and tie on, and it's weird, and you recognise them, but your brain takes an hour minute to figure it all out. You know that moment? You know what I, mean? I, I do. I do. The, the I had that happen to me once where I was in a McDonald's without enough money to buy something, and I made jokes about adults eating Happy Meals when I saw one of my favorite high school teachers quietly eating a Happy Meal by himself off in a corner, and I felt <laughs> terrible about it, and I never mentioned it again. Until just now. Well, so I've been living with that guilt for 25 years now. Well, that happened here, and it was because uh, Gemma Arterton's also in this, but mainly speaking French. So um, as soon as she appeared, I'm thinking she seems familiar, and she was very good with her French uh, accent from what I could gather. And then, yeah. It was about a third of the way into the film. Like, I think that's Jim Arterton, and that was confirmed at the end. But Orphan is a—it's a good film. It's a, you know, it's it's a drama with a a great cast, and it's uh, I would recommend it to people who like either of those Adele's that I've just mentioned. So I don't mangle their surnames again. Everybody was watching No One Will Save You, so I watched No One Will Save You. I really liked it. It's a home invasion horror, with the twist being that the home invaders are uh, little grey men, aliens. That was in the trailer, and I thought that looked like a good enough premise. Um, the main actress, Caitlin Daver, is really good and she carries most of the film on her shoulders there's I, I don't know if there's any dialogue from what I recall certainly not much anyway it's um, it's a, a bold film I would say for what it does in running with the premise and what it leads to in the third act and finale and I can see folk Hating it because of uh, because of how it ends, but I actually really liked it. I thought it, I thought it 
worked out well. And uh, and I liked it, but I know that people who will hate the ending will then end up just rubbishing the whole film until it's not worth their time. Uh, I think even if you don't like where it ends, I think there are still good moments. The first half is definitely stronger than the second half. I think uh, the uh, director, Brian Duffield, has some good moments of tension and uh, he makes the yeah he makes the most of the sort of crossover idea so it's a good fun and thrills and then on a very different note uh, I watched The Intern from 2015 with Robert De Niro alongside Anne Hathaway written and directed by Nancy Myers. This was good fun. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's predictable. It's sweet. It's, you know, actually funny in a couple of places. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't have De Niro as the complete sort of doddery out of his depth old person. The the plot is he applies for a senior internship role because this company thinks oh it'd be good to get someone with life experience in. So he gets that with this online fashion company. That's it. Anne Hathaway is the owner of this company. She doesn't like to necessarily um, be told what to do by people. She has a reputation of being a bit mean and uh, brusque with some but it's just because she's got so much on her plate. So Initially, she doesn't really want De Niro sort of alongside her. As you might expect, they start to work together quite well. It's it's really enjoyable though. Um, they they're good in lead roles. There's a supporting role for Rennie Russo, who I always like to see. Um, there are a couple of people here from the oh, I forget the name of that show because uh, one of them's Adam Devine. And he was in some show uh, comedy thing, yeah, yeah come on. just about off office workers uh-huh. or computer workers or something. Yes, is it just called workers? Workaholics. Yeah, workaholics. Is it? Ah, oh, I'm so close. I, I thought I thought you'd get there. I thought you were going to work your way through it. And I was like, I'll just <laughs> encourage him a little, and he'll get to it. And then you were so close. I've never seen it, but I'm more aware of it because I know they, um, there was quite a few of them together with that. I've got to say the film was Game Over Man, that Netflix one. Yeah, that was, that was all three of them. Bad. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's Adam Devine and Anders Holm. I think he was also in Workaholics. Uh, but other people who are very good in this. It was, it was enjoyable. Look, it's not a film I would say, hey, Dave, you need to see The Intern. But if somebody was just after an amusing comfort watch for an evening, and you know, say what you like about uh, Nancy Myers movies, like she does what she does well. So if that's what you're after, then it's a good one. But going very different again. Uh, finally, I'll say I checked out Sympathy for the Devil, which has red-haired Nicholas Cage getting into a car and uh, telling the driver, Joel Kinnaman, to drive. 
Uh, Kinnaman doesn't want to go away because his wife is in labour at that point, but uh, Cage's character believes that uh, Kinnaman is someone that he's denying he is, and tension ensues. Well, I say tension. There's also quite a bit of black comedy for us because Cage is allowed to be quite um, quite cagey. And, yeah, I I really like this. It was it, it was a lot of fun. I think the very end scenes are a bit of a anticlimax, uh, but otherwise, if you've seen the trailer first and thought you'd like it, you're gonna like it, and that's what happened with me. And that was me. So uh, I watched Bordello of Blood again. That's one of my like go-to horror comedies. Angie Everhart is an absolute goddess, and I know Dave agrees there. Yep. Um, it's really, it's a really fun movie, and it's actually my favorite Tales from the Crypt movie. So I really like that one. Um, I just got the new unearthed Blu-ray of Torched from the late great Ryan Nicholson. Uh, I love this one. It's a fucking nasty little forty-five minute rape revenge film uh, with some amazing gore effects. And has some of the most brutal penile torture ever put to film. So, yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, because the new Exorcist film is coming out, I think, next week or the week after, two weeks maybe, um, I'm going through the series again, except I'm going backwards. I watched The Beginning and Dominion. Uh, I'm one of the very few who really enjoys the Rennie Harlan cut. I think it's fun. But I love Paul Schrader's version of dominion i think it's the best exorcist film next to the original which is hard to do because the original is a masterpiece but i think dominion is pretty close and it's got an absolutely wonderful performance from Sarsgaard. he is just incredible as father Marin. just a great great performance and uh it's a shame that schrader's cut doesn't get the recognition it deserves because it's really good and uh doesn't come quite close to the original, but it's pretty fucking close. Like I would, the original's a ten, Dominion's a nine. It's really good stuff, and uh, I enjoy all the Exorcist films. Though I even like the wacky ass cousin that is fucking uh, Exorcist Two: The Heretic. I think it's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, that's that's me. Just a reminder: we did cover all of the Exorcist movies a few years ago. We did. Just if I could remember which episode it was, I'd tell you, but I, I I can't. So it was one of the October specials, right? It was. I, it, yeah, it was yeah. an October special. I just don't remember what year. Uh, tragically, so you know, uh, I, was it twenty twenty one? What? I'm going to look out right now. Oh, okay. You know what? It was way back in twenty nineteen. Was it? Dang. Wow. Yeah. Time. Episode one two five, and if I remember right, I think that was about two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This week, we probably won't talk that long about any of these, but we watched the nineteen sixty American Gothic horror film directed by Roger Corman, written by Richard Matheson, and starring the ever reliable Vincent Price, House of Usher. The 1967 Soviet horror film directed by Konstantin Yersov and Grigory Kurpovic, 
Sorry, I just fucked that one up terribly. Based on the story of the same name by Gogol, The V, the 2003 American survival horror thriller by Chris Kintis, Open Water, and the 2022 Irish-British found footage sci-fi film by Andrew Legg, Lola. Hey, I only butchered one name this week. Fuck yeah for me. I mean, so far, I'm going to have more Russian names to say. I'm going to fuck those up bad. Sorry in advance. Hey, T? Yes, sir. You want to pick a movie and tell us about it? Yeah, I'm going to go with Lola, which is about two sisters who invent a machine that intercepts broadcasts from the future, and they use it to change history. I uh, I actually really loved this movie, you guys. Like, it totally took me by surprise how much I liked this movie. I, I had no idea what to expect going in, so I just I went in blind. And uh, I wasn't expecting this science fiction, lo-fi, hybrid, period piece, found footage time travel film. It's innovative with its style. It's obviously made with a micro budget, but they make that shit work so fucking well. I love the grainy black and white cinematography, the... World War II reels, the David Bowie space oddity sequence, which to get the rights to that song probably cost more than it did to make the entire fucking movie, but it was worth it. Uh, I love the uh, first person narration, I mean, pers- first person narrative, excuse me. Uh, great dialogue, love the use of music. It's got a breezy pace. Anything that deals with time travel and time manipulation and parallel realities usually isn't easy to portray on. On screen, I mean, you can leave a lot of holes, and most do. Uh, most movies do. I love Looper, but it's got plot holes. Um, but and especially if you don't have a lot of money to portray it on screen. But man, if I wasn't fucking blown away with how Andrew Leggy handles it here, the dude is insanely talented, and he instantly shot to the very top for me of filmmakers to keep an eye out for. I mean, the, I thought the two sisters were fantastic. I loved their performances. I, they had some great chemistry together too. But yeah, this might be my favorite first time viewing for the podcast this year. I really liked it a lot. It really worked for me, and I can see myself going back to it quite often. Um, I would put it right there with Primer, which is a movie that I also love dearly. So yeah, I love this movie. This was really good. I might be the happy medium between us all, Dave, so I thought you might want to go first. Oh, okay. I I don't know how you can be a happy medium between us, because I really liked this one. All right, okay. Um, yeah, it, now, don't get me wrong, it's, it's not perfect, but uh, on a technical level, it is incredibly well done. Uh, I remember, because I'm old, and a friend of mine was in a background actor in Forrest Gump. So I got to see an advanced screening of that uh, on the 4th of July, the year it came out. And I, I distinctly remember seeing that uh, on the big screen and how amazing they merged the, uh, the new footage with the old footage. Uh, and that cost bajillions of dollars. It was, it was a technical Marvel at the time. This is almost as good. Uh, there's a few that don't quite make it. Uh, spoilers. A certain German doesn't quite fit as well. But like the few times they have uh, Churchill there, it, it looks great. 
Uh, they they do an excellent job making the film look like an old film. Uh, it's well edited. I, I think all three of the leads are excellent. They give very s- solid performances. Uh, it's it's a fun little sci-fi movie that does something interesting. Uh, okay, granted, I think it, it does some things that a lot of uh, alt history has done lately. Like It does a little bit too much with the music, but it doesn't do anything with the music. Uh, and in the last, like, I don't know, 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of video games and movies that have done that better. Like off the top of my head, the current Wolfenstein series does all music excellently. Uh, uh, oh, crap. Uh, Bioshock Infinite probably did it the best. Adapting songs to a, an older time period. I mean, it's fine. The The sequence here, especially the... um, uh, Crap, what song is it? I didn't write it down. Space Oddity. Is it Space Oddity? No, no, no. The one they sing in the nightclub becomes oh, a hit. Shit. It was... um. Oh, that was... Um, <laughs> is, that, is that not a... You really got me? Yeah, you really got yes. me. Fuck, I went blank. It's, 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 it's okay, but it's not like... It's not really jazzy enough. It's not 1940s enough to really work. But it's it's fun. It's still fun to hear that song in that setting. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really solid little sci-fi movie. And uh, I love that. Like, I, I mean, again, there's like nitpicks. If you want to nitpick things, you can really nitpick the shit out of this. Uh, especially because it's before, you know, uh, capacitors were a thing. So, you know, that movie camera would have weighed 240 pounds. And we're supposed to believe a 90 pound, uh, well, 390 pound people because all of them are stick thin are carrying it around like it weighs nothing. But, you know, whatever. I, I don't... I'm not going to get that butthurt about it. Some people will, and they're being pedantic assholes. It's fine. It's in a, it's a fun little flick that has a fun little story to tell, and it does it pretty well. And it was made for, like, fuck all, like, nothing. You know? So, I... Go see this one. Like... This is one worth looking, keeping an eye out for when it hits the big streamers. It's it's a solid, solid little sci-fi yarn. I am the lone voice of dissent here then. And I'm sure if Craig was here, I would still be the lone voice of dissent. Uh, lots of people were giving this good notices. Um... Yeah, I, I was looking forward to seeing this one. And as Craig knows, or um, I think you remembered, I saw it a few months ago at last. But I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the podcast. I might have. Anyway, I was disappointed. You, I you I find this disappointing. Um, I find it infuriating. I, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. What it gets right is, I agree, it gets his style right. The The filming style is wonderful. I think uh, Andrew Legg does a great job there. And when he does mix the stuff in, whether it's a bit of Bowie, whether it's You Really Got Me, I like that. I, I do. Um, I, I don't think the performances are great. I like Stephanie Martini as Martha. I don't really like Emma Appleton as Thomasina, who has to be there being smart and then go very moody 
and immediately try to rule everyone around her. And I'm not a big fan of the lone guy who makes it a a trio. Uh, Rory Flickburn plays that uh, soldier. He's so just beefcake. That, yeah, and uh, but you know when when they're creating the, the sort of tension between them as things are changing, I don't like it. I didn't really like it from the moment though, where they're like, you know, we think we found where the signal was coming from. We saw this girl climbing a massive. Uh, metal construction that could be boosting the signal. I was just like, do you think? Do you think maybe that's someone doing that because they had equipment up there as well? Uh, I I think the problems here with the script. Uh, Andrew Legg has done a few things in this vein with his uh, short films. Certainly, he's interested in uh, time travel or science hijinks uh, and he helped to write this with Angela McFarlane I don't know if she's uh, always worked with them or if she's done uh, a mix of her own stuff for a while so I forgot to check out her filmography but I I think they come unstuck with the script and there will be spoilers from here on because my biggest problems come in the second half towards the ending so I'm giving everyone a fair spoiler warning this is still quite new a lot of people liked it. This is a spoiler warning for a few minutes because I hate when people say, oh, I hate this film, so spoilers, but fuck it. Um, so I don't like the, um, the I, I don't like the development of the, well, the, the overt fascism that runs through and the, the funky pop song that becomes this fascist anthem and rather to obviously just refers to them basically as fascists and goes on about have the jackboots, you know, through uh, London or whatever. It just it doesn't ring true because fascists don't always recognise themselves as fascists or, or use that label. And I thought that sucked. And then... They're doing this found footage style, which is a stylistically, this works for the, the time period. But you get a montage in the middle, you get other stuff just going off here, there, and everywhere. Like, just either stick with your gimmick or just frame the, the film to allow for all your, your different ways. This isn't a film that was found in the house, this is a film that's been created because you've got everything else showing the bigger context. And then when it gets to the finale itself for a signal used, uh, this could just be me being thick as mince, but that means that uh, it relies on the chance that Thomasina scans through and picks up that one signal that's come back for that warning. Am I right? Well, maybe. Because I, I, I know they were intercepting signals from the Nazis and stuff when they were helping to try and sort of win the war, but they were scanning specific frequencies to get the get the messages. So you're getting the back and forth, and when the Nazis thought they had something that was being used against them, they started to like double bluff, as it were. So that made sense because they were going for, I don't know, certain bandwidths or certain areas. But at the end, I'm like, all right, so someone's just sent the signal out 
for her to pick up. You know, everything else they'd done was stuff that once they had it, they would work around it or pinpoint their favourites. Like when she's wanting to find Bowie or, you know, the Kinks or Bob Dylan or whoever. It just, it's not, like, it's it's probably not uh, enough to break the film for people who are immersed in it and really enjoy it. There was just enough to keep me a step away from it that by the time we get to you know, what could be an interesting and satisfying ending, I'm already out, you know, in, in that way. And just like, no. Whereas from the early scenes, it had a lot of promise. And I thought I would end up agreeing with the general consensus. But I'm, I'm just not a fan uh, I think it just it looks okay, but it's like a kind of well put together tower of cards that just ends up having water poured on it in the second half. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk about some of your issues. Uh, them calling themselves fascists. Oh, all right, oh. movie issues. That's yeah. fine. No, I'm sorry. We don't have time to talk I about all my I don't have time issues. to get into your real issues. Those are for the chat. <laughs> Those are for elsewhere. But no, uh, like I, I felt that the English fascists that we see at the end are very much modeled after Mussolini and not after the Nazis with how they're mm-hmm. dressed and stuff. And that Mussolini called himself a fascist. That is where the word comes from. Uh, so that didn't bother me. As uh, I forgot, what the, there was another one. I had another point, and it just went right out of my head. I I mean, the, the whole point is that the whatever they did, you know, worked, and that's why there's no view of them, which you know, who I don't know. Alt history does weird shit, so that doesn't bother me either. But yeah, I. Uh, they were very much referencing that song was very much referencing again something else I said Wolfenstein because there's several songs like that in the 1950s that are straight out singing about how they love to be like racists and fascists and Nazis in America which are you know they're fun (laughs) so (laughs) it doesn't bother me because they they did lose so it's not a real song I might I might find them fun in Wolfenstein. I didn't I I didn't think they they worked well. Like when when you were on about quite liking the song, and you might like that one as well. But I thought you were on about that one. But I had forgotten the you really got me until you mentioned it, which I quite liked. You know, I quite liked that. But I quite liked the riffs on stuff that you know that they could pick up ahead yeah. of their time and do that. And it if the rest had had worked better for me like i wouldn't even be bored at the end thinking oh well it's just a complete paradox because if it all worked then the film just wouldn't exist blah 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 um no but my brain was even feeding that back to me as some dangerous bad loop i mean just because because i hadn't liked it enough the only change that i didn't think would be a thing because david bowie would have signed up as, as a fascist in a heartbeat as a child uh, we like to, you know, pretend that Bowie was better than he actually was. I like his music, but the dude had issues. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all have issues. But in his youth, he was a bit of a racist piece of shit. So he just signed right up. But what I don't like is fucking nothing would have taken 
Stanley Kubrick out from being a filmmaker. Dude was obsessed. The war was over. He might have made different movies, but Stanley Kubrick would still have existed. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, right. Such a such a wealth of options. Okay, I'm going to go for the House of Russia, which is your pick, Dave, also known as the fall of the House of Russia. And I'm going for this because in the nicest possible way, I think I have the least to say about this. Um, I was able to, I think maybe for the first time, crack out the Arrow Blu-ray that I've owned for about a decade from their <laughs> from their Corman Poe box. Uh, so that was nice. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, directed by Corman, uh, written by Richard Matheson, based on the Edgar Allan Poe thing. Thing. Tale, sorry. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I sat down and really enjoyed this. Uh, a young man, uh, Philip, played by Mark Damon, goes to visit his beloved, uh, hoping to find out what's going on and just to see her. Uh, she is Madeline Usher, played by Myrna Fai, and uh, he finds out that her brother, Roderick, played by Vincent Price, is uh, under the impression that the family is cursed and you know, his sister can't leave the house and it's all about to go, as Edgar Allan Poe would say at the time, tits up for them. This is just, I mean, it's just a, a delight, isn't it? It's, um, I think every time I revisit a film from this time, from this uh, era, was this, was this AIP? I don't want to make an uh, obvious mistake, but with Corman, uh, yeah, this was this, this was AIP. Well, I mean, yeah. it was produced, yeah, distributed by AIP. This is when uh, Corman was between self distributions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, certainly, well, let's just say the Corman uh, films, I was thinking, and the Poe films are are just. <laughs> They're really nicely put together, handsomely mounted. They give, you know, plenty of time and great dialogue to Vincent Price, who, I, I don't care what age you are, if you're a horror fan and you don't find love in your heart for Vincent Price, whenever you stumble upon him in your movie-watching life, then you should just be consigned to some floating iceberg somewhere until it melts and you end up in the sea. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not being judgy, but that's that's all I need to say about that. That is kind of a judgment, though, but it's a judgment you need. Uh, so Price is wonderful. It's a, it's a blonde kind of platinum look with his hair. And... Uh, it's a great performance from him. I think the woman Faye playing his sister is really good as well. Like Mark Damon is he's fine, but he's the you know 
he's the handsome young man and that's what he has to do. Uh, I think Fai is the more interesting, uh, I'd say, supporting cast member. And Harry Ellerby is uh, great as well as a sort of manservant housekeeper stuck in this uh, place of developing madness. It's it it doesn't exactly drip with atmosphere through. I think it's a bit of um, you know it's it's sort of just going along easily enough for I would say two thirds. But when the third act kicks in, it really starts to throw more things around. Whether it's spooky noises and creaky doors, uh, the obviously the plot developments for the finale. Uh, lunacy and um, maybe or maybe not uh, lots of ghosts available and a house that could be set to actually fall it all all delivers and it's really wonderful so yeah I I really really enjoyed this It, it, it doesn't feel like a super short film. I mean, it's not super short, but, you know, it's, and yet, it's not because it's being stretched out painfully. It's just nice that everything's got a little bit of room to breathe, even though it's it's not left to run long. Uh, this was nice, Dave. Just nice, comforting, you know, class with Vincent Price in it. That's all I can say. Uh, this might be my favorite Vincent Price performance. I loved him in this, and I loved his bleach blonde hair. That was fucking awesome. Uh, he's, al- <laughs> he's always great, and I've honestly never seen a performance from him that I didn't like. But here, he just like oozes evilness, and it's amazing. Uh, really weird seeing him without his mustache, though. That shit was kind of jarring. Uh, it's got a good gothic atmosphere. The set design is absolutely gorgeous. Everything feels so lavish. Uh, the interiors of that mansion, the matte paintings, it's some incredible stuff. Uh, the costumes are amazing. Uh, it's atmospheric and moody. It's got the perfect atmosphere for fall. Uh, the cast is fine for the most part outside of Price. Um, and nobody here is as memorable as Price. And it's a little melodramatic at times, but that's to be expected. It's a horror film from the 60s. Most of them, them were. Uh, from the couple Poe-Roger Corman films that I've seen, I haven't seen many of them. Uh, I think I like this one the most. But like I said, I really haven't seen that many of them. Uh, got a lot of catching up to do when it comes to like Poe adaptations in general. I haven't seen that many. I've only seen like... Oh my god, I've seen the uh, the Pit and the Pendulum. That's a Poe one, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen the original of that, and I've seen the Full Moon one. And I've unfortunately, I've seen a Yuli Lomel version of The Raven, which I like to erase from my fucking memory. But, um... Did yeah, you I not see the, the Mask of the Red Death? Did we watch that no, he didn't. That was going to be my question. Oh. Yeah, no, oh. I haven't seen that one. Well, you've seen that, that Telltale Heart. Yes, I've seen that, and I've seen uh, oh, I've seen the John Cusack Raven too. I've seen that one, um, but yeah, I, just, I haven't seen a lot. I need to catch up. 
But uh, yeah, this was would, uh, this was fun stuff. You would like Mask of the Red Death, just for the record. Before we move on, yeah, yeah. someone uh, someone pick it so I can watch it. Or, or otherwise, I'll watch it anyways. But yeah, someone pick it down the line. I promise I'll watch it. But yeah, this was good stuff. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I mean, I also don't have a lot to say. It's well made. Uh, it's it's one of those things. Like Corman as a businessman was was brilliant, but it it you tend to forget that he was also a, a solid, cheap exploitation director. It's well made. The costumes are great. The casts are mostly really good. Damon's a little iffy in spots, but overall he's fine. Price is excellent. I mean, he's just like born. <laughs> <laughs> to play this like poe had a vision of the future and knew this would come and that's why he wrote it uh the screenplay by richard matheson is fairly close to the source i mean they, they change they make a big change where uh in the book the the visitor is a friend of roderick's and in this he's the lover of the sister which it, it's a it is a huge change but you know you need a little bit of drama so it's, you know, it's less affecting than you'd think overall. Uh, the set pieces are really nice. I mean, that that house is awesome. And the ending to it is great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great little flick with four people doing their, their best work. It is a good one. It is worth seeking out. Uh it's it's funny. It it's one of those movies I think about um, when I think about how much like standards have changed. Like I I still love this movie, and I I like gory movies too. I mean, you know, I've made you guys watch some of the bloodiest samurai films ever made. I still love that sword fight in the Last Lone Wolf and Cub more than anything, Evil Dead. But uh, you guys ever heard of Harrison's reports? No, I haven't. It was a trade journal uh, that ran from like 1915, I think, to 1962. And, and they were uh, they did reviews. They did film reviews. And they're worth noting because they never took any advertising money. It was only subscription, which is what ultimately killed them. Uh, and. Do you know how they described this film? It was a positive review, but they said it had maybe too much abundant gore for viewers. And I just saw an ad for Saw X right before we started (laughs) recording. (laughs) And I just don't understand anyone that would see this film and think, that's a lot of gore. I don't know if it's because obviously we see films nowadays where people can use their iPhones or, you know, they can be digitally shot and look pretty trashy already. Uh, But this, like, this film never looks cheap to me. I mean, there there are a couple of little moments where you notice a wobble, you know, part of the set. But that, you know, that can happen on... Your big budget films, wasn't it? Batman Returns with the wobbly grave, yeah, penguin <laughs> visiting or something. Wasn't yeah, it? I still love that. Like, this this looks, you know, in a way, it's it doesn't look as cheap as Batman Returns, which looks wonderful. 
But uh, is that, I mean, is that just me or do, do you think when you're saying about him making films cheap and being a good businessman, that well, I'm I, sure there are some I, that I, look I, cheap. Well, yeah, some do. But I, my point is he was a good filmmaker, and I think that's often lost when we discuss him. Because we think about, you know, his exploitation uh, studio just cranking out stuff in the 70s, you know? I think that's what most folks think of when you discuss Roger Corman now, or even in, all the way through the 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Roger Corman filled 80% of most video stores. Yeah. So I think I, I, that's what I meant. Not- but I know, I, I think you know, he definitely, he's always been budget conscious, hasn't he? But I, I couldn't, I could watch House of Usher throughout and just not point out it any one part and be like, well, that's, you know, that's cheap. Even even the effects towards the end when they're looking, you know, as they do, I'm just thinking, well, from the time, that's, oh, yeah. that's, no. still, it, that's still pretty good stuff. Yeah, he, he did great with what he had. But again, I, I didn't mean that as an insult, you know, but just I was talking about his other stuff. Oh yeah, like, I'd, like, I was just wonder if it was my eyes or or just like, no, no. And general, and it's not just that one. I think it's all of his post stuff, except except the Raven. But the Raven has a totally different tone. And it's mm-hmm. supposed to look like that. Like the Raven has some effects that make you go, "Ooh, really, guys? That's <laughs> that's what you went with." But you know, it's so the, fun. yeah, it's still fun. I love the Raven, but this. uh House of Usher, Mask of the Red Death, uh, even P- and the Pendulum, just like they made these movies for. Maybe it felt like a lot of money then, but it's it's nothing, you know. Mm. Even if you adjust it for inflation, it's it's nothing, and they're just really yeah. There's some impressive flicks that deserve all the love. I think I will go with Kevin's pick, Vi. Uh, which I've, I've seen before and a few other versions of it. Uh, it's a 1967 Soviet horror film based on the classic story by Nikolai Gogol. Um, and it stars uh, Leonid Kulikolov, who uh, has been in some absolutely fantastic Russian films. He was in the 94 Master and the Margarita and uh, the, the Left Hander. He was in the uh, Soviet, the 84, The Invisible Man, which is really good and worth checking out. Dude had a hell of a career. And uh, Natalia Varley, who. Uh, while mostly, you know, is a, a corpse in this film, uh, is in some absolutely classic Russian films, especially in the 70s. And it is the story of a seminary student who, while partying with some buddies, takes refuge with a witch. The witch decides to use him as a mode of transportation until he beats the witch to death. Upon returning to the seminary, he is called out by some Cossacks to sit with the corpse of a young local noble's daughter who uh, looks a heck of a lot like 
the witch did the last time he saw her. And it goes over three nights of him watching over her body. Uh, I really like the V. The Vi. The Vi? The Vi. Uh, It's just a weird, fun little movie. Uh, The cast is really good. The effects, I mean, you know, the effects are what they are. (laughs) They're 1960 Soviet effects. And they're pretty goofy for the most part, but I think they really work in this. Uh, The surfing on the coffin lid is a personal favorite sequence of mine. I love the, the, the Viet, the Vi itself is the giant monster that appears at the end. I think it looks fantastic. Fortunately, it doesn't have to move a lot, (laughs) Uh, but I mean, this is a movie that really like works because of its limitations. They took what they had and they made something really awesome within the confines and it is it is worth getting the attention. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It is it is a great watch as far as I'm concerned. I, I just don't have a lot to say about it. It's one of those movies that I think it's more to be experienced than anything. Because like the action is so direct that there's not much rhetorical to discuss. But I, I, I like it. I'm a big fan. I think it looks great. The church setting is awesome. The two cast members we spend the most time with are great. It's a solid adaptation of a classic uh, horror story. Okay, so I'm 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 in the opposite end of the spectrum here from Dave. I thought the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie was some pretty wonderful bonkers shit, but the first hour was dull as fucking dishwater. Uh, by the time it got to the stuff I liked, it all felt too little too late. I'm fine with the buildup. I love a good I love a good slow burn build, but for such a short film, this really drags for most of its running time. And then all of a sudden, it started to give off some crazy ass Russian Evil Dead vibes, and I started to enjoy it. And then it was fucking over. Uh, I did love the prosthetics, and I thought the monsters were awesome. I mean, yeah, the effects were dated, but they worked for what they were. And and even with its boring first and second act, it still always kept a good spooky atmosphere. And and the cast is relatively fine for the most part. It just it just wasn't enough to warrant a recommend for the film as a whole, because nothing really kept me invested until the final wacky ass fifteen minutes, which. I can't express that enough. I really fucking liked the last 15 minutes of this movie a lot. It's just, it's a weird one for me. Like I'd gladly go back and watch the ending all over again. It's wonderful stuff, but everything before that, nah, I, 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 I didn't hate it. I just wish the first hour was like the last 15 minutes. And then I would have gave this movie like a solid recommend all across the board, but where it stands, great ending, boring first half. There's a 2013, um, I think it might actually be a Ukrainian remake with Jason Fleming. I think you'll enjoy more. Maybe eventually we will pick that. It's kind of like a Russian Sleepy Hollow from Tim Burton. Oh, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah, Someone mentioned that to me. Uh, I was was unaware of it. That's someone with me last week. On this podcast. Uh, 
Oh, maybe. Uh, someone also on Facebook commented, so someone I was paying attention to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fair. just kidding, Dave. Uh, but there was also, um, I was hoping to do homework this week. I didn't have time. I didn't realise I have the two-disc special edition of Vi, and it has uh, at least one extra film on the second disc called A Holy Place. 1990 film. Uh, also known as Sveto Mesto. Have you seen that one, Yeah, that's, that is the the movie. That is another um, edit of, of the Vi. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Serbian so, version. I mean, it's maybe maybe a good job. I didn't
for the final scenes. So I really liked it. And that takes us to the last one for the week, which is Tyler's Open Water, uh, written and directed by Chris Kentis. And it is about a couple who go scuba diving and are accidentally left behind by the boat. That's it. Uh, the couple are Susan and Daniel, played by Blanchard Ryan and Daniel Travis. They uh, are helped to be left behind on the boat by the actions of one other main actor, who is someone I forget how annoying he is whenever this film's on. Uh, Seth, played by Saul Stein, that covers the main cast and there's a, a number of sharks. So Open Water was a big deal when it was released. It was filmed on, uh, I believe, some digital cameras that allowed the director to just have the actors in the water with uh, real sharks around them for certain scenes. And that was that was the selling point. And it's based on... Uh, However, loosely, I I think uh, I think there are, there are a couple of interesting points here that's that match actually. It's based on a true story of uh, of people who were left behind due to a miscount, and their disappearance was discovered later when uh, when items were found on the on the chartered boat. I mean, open water is okay. I like it now more than I used to because I appreciate the the second half um, and, you know, what the actors went through and what was done and where it's leading. So I do rate this, but I used to absolutely hate it. And when we were re-watching it for the podcast this week, the first half was testing me again. Uh, I don't really like the leads and even before they get in the water they're not exactly winning us over despite the fact that the director just has Blanchard Ryan have a nude scene just to try and stop everyone's interest waning throughout the first 15 or 20 minutes and I am right in saying that and I like that's the reason for it uh, I, I believe isn't that right, T? I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like Blanchard Ryan, though. I mean, naked. She looks nice naked. So. I like her, too. And, yeah, she does look nice. I, I think she said, you know, reading the script, uh, she was a bit sort of not too happy about a nudity, but realized it would uh, be something needed while nothing else was going on for the first little while. Uh, but this this couple, I just don't warm to them. This uh, guy on the boat, that Seth character, he is so annoying. And then when uh, when Blanche Ryan and Daniel Travis are floating about in the water and realising the situation and bickering and being worried about sharks near them and bickering, it's, it's just too much bickering. And it's a case of being stuck in the company of people who you know you, you don't really care about till I would say till the last few scenes 
that that's it, and it's it's a bit of a chore until then. But for how it was done, and for what ends up on screen that works, then yes, I I just begrudgingly nowadays rate it as a slightly above average film. But somebody needed to go in there and really overhaul the the dialogue and the the development of the central characters because no pun intended but that really sinks the thing that's me I am also I don't like this movie I just I find it so dull I I do appreciate their filming methods uh like yeah i mean it's it's decently shot for an early digital feature i just i i don't care if they live or die i I don't care about the sharks i don't find any tension and because like i know they're gonna die going in i just like the original story is nobody knows exactly what happened to the people it's based on but from what we do know it's probably likely they went kind of crazy from dehydration and stripped naked and drowned. And that is a more interesting story than people stalked by sharks in a way that sharks don't really stalk. Uh, Ending with, you know, a frenzy, which, I mean, it looks cool on film, but eh, I mean, it's just there's a lot of shark movies I like more than this one, and I just don't care for this. I don't care for the cast. Uh, I don't care for the story they tell. This like this movie isn't even an hour and a half, but you need something to make it interesting, and they don't give us anything. They're, these aren't characters, so it's not a character piece that it needs to be. It needs to be about two people fighting for survival, and they're not. They can't even... They, they don't even... Hold, they drop their knife immediately. They, like, nothing in it feels realistic. feels like somebody read about the real thing and then went, Oh, that's great. Now let's use sharks. Fuck yeah, sharks. It's just... It's a miss. I I feel like there's probably an awesome movie, an awesome character piece about, you know, two people to be made here. And this isn't it. And it's not, there's like no tension because, yeah, they're fucked. And I don't care if they live or die. And I need to care if they live or die. I just, I just never don't. There's, there's some nice bits. Uh, The cleaner fish is a good touch. But like somebody's bit in the first three minutes. I mean, it's just, and it just drags on from there. It's a lot of nothing. It's, it's a whole lot of nothing. And I just, I don't think it's worth watching just for the one shot reason. Tyler picked it (laughs) to see the cleaner fish, take a bite out of somebody's leg. It's just, you know, not, it's just not worth the, the investment. I didn't know there were so many sequels though. So that's something I learned, but this was by far my least favorite film this week. I wasn't a fan the first time I saw it, and I keep waiting for it to click for me, and I just, I I need to care, and I just don't. 
opposed to what people think. I didn't pick this because of nudity, uh, even no, though I, I think I literally thought it was because of the fish eating her leg. <laughs> oh. That's like the best part of it. I mean, that is. I, I thought it was because of nudity. See. <laughs> I'll, I'll get out of the way quick. Blanchard Ryan is gorgeous, and I like looking at her naked, but that is not why I picked this movie. Uh, I genuinely love Open Water. Uh, this movie terrifies me. Uh, for how much I love the ocean and movies set in and around the ocean, the thought of being stuck in the middle of the ocean sends chills down my fucking spine. Uh, for me, there's actually there's only two good shark films out there, Jaws and this movie. I'm not saying I don't like stuff like Deep Blue Sea. I love Deep Blue Sea, and I really enjoy The Shallows, and I, I like the first Meg. I was in the second one. Uh, but Open Water, for me, is a genuinely great shark film, in my honest opinion. I, I love the digital look of this movie, too. Some say it looks cheap. I think it looks great, and it really adds to the atmosphere of the film. A lot of it was shot on a Sony DSR VX2000, which is an awesome digital camera. I wanted one so bad back in the early 2000s, but God, they weren't me cheap. too. Yeah, they weren't cheap back no. then. And when you're, and when you're, when, I was 13 when this came out, but when you're 13 years old, you can't afford Sony digital cameras because I had no money back then. Um, I think both Daniel Travis and Blanchard Ryan are really good as the leads. Uh, for me, they both sell their fear, fear incredibly well. Like, I genuinely believe those two were stranded in the ocean. I just, I love how they used actual sharks. I I think it builds tension really well. It has a strong feeling of desperation throughout, which makes me physically exhausted by the time the credits roll. And that ending is bleak as fuck. Yeah, yeah, you know it's coming, but it's still pretty damn bleak. I mean, that final shot sticks with me. It always has. Just, it's absolutely some gut-wrenching shit. I, I remember leaving the theater after watching it, and I told myself I'd never go scuba diving for as long as I live. And 20 years later, I have kept that promise. But uh, yeah, I am a big, big fan of this movie. Um, I actually really like the sequels too. I think Open Water 2, I think it's called The Drift, is actually really good. It's the one where they forget to put the ladder down when they jump in the water. But I, I really enjoy that one. Um, Cage, I think 3 is called Cage Dive. I don't really remember that one as much, but it I remember is, yeah. being okay. I remember being okay, but I don't think it was shot as an open water movie. I think it was called Cage Dive that they added Open Water to later on. But it, it ain't a bad found footage shark film. It's it's entertaining. But um no no T three's bad. I, I agree with you. I quite like two. I was surprised. Um I'd assumed they'd tagged open water onto that as well, but it was quite a you know, it was quite a good way of just stranding people out there enjoying themselves and like, oh, mm-hmm. did anyone put the side ladder on the boat? Yeah, it's a good premise and the baby on top of the board of the ship when they jump in. I mean, it, it makes for a good concept for that movie. I thought two was really good. I've only seen three once. I I just remember being okay, but like I said, I, dark movies are crazy hit or miss. If I'm entertained by one, I just take that as a win. It, it was okay. But um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Open Water. I've loved this movie since 2003, and it works for me now, 20 years later. Big fan. I think I liked it a bit more when I didn't realize... Their surnames were Watkins and Kintner. Because <laughs> that that just made me more annoyed. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, no, don't don't make your obvious Jaws connection that way. <sighs> <But. laughs> 
Okay, guys, it's it's time. It's time to pick one. You got to pick one. It's, it's tough, man. I, I'm stuck between Vi and House of Russia. So because I won't rush to pick my own, <clears throat> like some people, <laughs> I'll go with uh, House of Russia. Ooh. Yeah. See, I have the same issue, but I am going to rush to pick mine. It's, it's House of Usher. <laughs> okay, so I am between my own pick, Open Water, and Lola. Lola, I thought, was fucking amazing. And uh, I will watch Lola many times over the years. But I thought uh, Open Water <laughs> is still effective. Like, yeah. it still scares me till this day up in water. And not like a horror movie scary. I just think it's it's it terrifies me to go into the ocean. But I'm going to go with open water because that movie is still great, in my opinion. So, yeah, open water. And next were, week, we, we begin October. Oh, I'm you shocked. shocked. I, am, oh, I was shocked. I am I absolutely. I thought I thought he was going to go with the Vi. I just I was like, he's going with the Vi. But no. <laughs> I think there's a, an, an appendix in some of the predictions of Nostradamus that just tells us every Tyler Tyler Yeah. Yeah, it's not. We all know where it's going. Yeah. If Vi was an hour and 15 minutes of his last 15 minutes, I probably would have voted for that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, me too. But then it definitely would have won. No argument. Yeah. So uh, Kevin told us what all of his picks for next month, uh, the glorious month of October where we all do the October horror challenge. So he, he told us uh, what his picks were in advance and we decided the the rest of us got together and we decided to make themes around them from things in them. And we'll see if Kevin can guess what the themes are. So Kevin, what's your first pick for the month of October? We are going to 2006 for Adam Green's slasher movie, Hatchet. Excellent. Tyler, what's your choice? I am going with one of the, what I consider one of the greatest horror films of all time, and that is 1999's The Blair Witch Project. I am going with uh, something different from all of you guys, but also not. I'm going with the 2010 horror comedy, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Nice. So, Kevin... What is our theme next week? Is it just horror movies set in the woods? No, we, will we accept that, Tyler? Uh, yeah, I yeah, definitely sense. accept yeah. that. We were, yeah. we were thinking backwards, but yeah, that works. All right. Ding, okay. ding. We're on Instagram, Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. We're on Facebook where I sometimes remember to post stuff on Wednesdays. I've remembered this week. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where you can like, subscribe, comment, and angry react Kevin's awesome videos weekly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can always email us at Raiders podcast at gmail.com. I love how we're just terrible at self-promotion. The one time Kevin promotes something and it's just people pissed at having to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched that video twice, and I'm like, "There's nothing to angry at." There's that video. nothing. It is <laughs> the least offensive thing we have ever done. Maybe, uh, maybe it's because we picked a Russian movie. I'll go with that one. 
<laughs> Why not? As always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Now we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. See ya.